Virgin now, here's a man with a story. He's joined me in the studio, Mr. Bill Cutler. He has, uh, well, he's an historian and he knows all about the history of the Golden Pipeline. And I think, you know, through our school days and beyond, we've known a lot about that and the, the incredible role of C.Y. O'Connor, of course. But Bill, gosh, he was amongst it all, weren't you, Bill? Uh, well, I've, uh, I've, I was born on the pipeline. Yes, so that's, I was trying to visualise that. Yeah, so it's my be uncomfortable for my mother, of course. But um, anyway, that's that's my background. Is from day one, I was on the pipeline. We won't move on from that just yet. Your father was working on the pipeline, wasn't he? He worked his entire life uh, yeah. either cutting timber for the pumping stations, and then he also uh, worked his whole life as a fireman and a greaser. So you were at the number seven pumping station. Where was that actually? Uh, well, it's a place called Gilgai, Gilgai which yeah. is about halfway between Southern Cross and Coolgardie. Oh, pretty remote. So it was known as Siberia by the, by the workers in those days because of its remoteness. Yeah, of course. So was it just your family? Were there other workers around uh, you? Yeah, there was about nine, nine families there. And they had housing for you? Yes, they had housing, yep. Wow. And how long were you only at the one station? No, uh, Dad was then transferred to number two pumping station. Right. Uh, No one knows ever where that is. Uh, Then we finished up number three pumping station. And you were around then, weren't you? I was, yeah. Okay. So your mum had you in the home... Uh, no, uh, she came to Perth for happiness. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. I was trying to imagine her out in the red dirt <laughs> no, there somewhere. No. <laughs> that is amazing. So, obviously, you've lived with this all your life, all the stories that you could possibly put down. Have you written a book at all? Uh, no, I'm doing some memoirs at the moment. Good on you. Yeah. Yes, everyone loves Australian history or WA history. So, of course, all... I, I didn't uh, work on the pumping station. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. So, when I do talk about the uh, the whole story... My greatest fear is that someone in the audience is a hydraulic engineer. (laughs) You, as a young boy, you were born there. So how long were you actually at one of the pumping stations? And Uh, what education did you get from there? Okay, well, well, it was before school, uh, before my school days. I was at number number seven. Yeah. By the time I got to number two, I started school at Mundiring Weir Primary School. You had to travel to there, did you? Yeah, which, uh, well... People don't know that number two pumping station is only two and a half kilometres up from number one pumping station. Which is where? Mundaring? Mun- at the foot of the wall, oh, Mundaring Weir. Getting closer to civilization, yeah, weren't that's, you? that's right. <laughs> so number, the reason they were so close, of course, is that um, the engines had a capacity to lift the water only a certain height. And so the, yeah. the, the, uh, the height differential from the bottom of the Weir wall up to where number two is, only two and a half kilometres away, was as far as you could lift the water. And yeah. then number two pumping station pushed it on to Cunderdon, 120 kilometres away. Incredible. Yep. Amazing feat of engineering. It is, yeah. Yeah, great man. Attributed to? Uh, well, C.Y. Connor is yeah. the life and blood of this, but we've got to give a lot of credit to uh, John Forrest because he backed him. He was the Premier at the time. Yeah. And, of course, uh, that was all taking place in the very formative years of WA government in its first representative government, 1890. So at that time, Western Australia had a population of about 45,000 to 48,000 people, the whole state. Wow. So you could put, that's, the, put that's the whole... In, that's in Perth at the moment, isn't it? Yep. You could put the whole state yeah. into yeah. Optus Stadium and have seats left over. <laughs> that's amazing. So to have the vision of this scheme providing water to our regional areas was phenomenal, wasn't it? And, and of course, we know the ending there for Seaway Arcana. Well, it was very tragic. Very and, tragic, yeah. And perhaps we can touch later on some of the myths that surrounded his death. 
Okay. Because there are myths that are quite untrue. All right, hold on to that thought. Yep. Okay, let's move on to the Goldfields Water Supply Scheme. And you sort of, you have described what it is. When was it decided that it should happen, Well, example? it really started with the uh, the discovery of gold at Coolgardie. So that was 1892. And uh, there's nothing out there. There's no farming at all, of course, as well. And uh, once they discovered gold, well, then they came in their thousands. Yeah, population grew. So uh, the population grew quite quite quickly. But, of course, when, when the men came, they mainly came from Victoria because they were uh, working on the gold mines at uh, Ballarat, Bendigo, uh, Beechworth, and the gold was just starting to run out in those places. And there was a depression on in the 1890s. So that got them across here. So uh, they, they just came in droves. And they had to. Get, they came mainly to Albany because that was the main port yeah. for Western Australia at the time. And then they would catch a train to either York and walk, wow. or they would go off a of Broom Hill and uh, use the uh, you know the track that had been uh, been put there by Holland. It would have been pretty basic, I would imagine. And some didn't make it, of course. Really, uh, because the they conditions were, pushing, were too hard. Yeah, pushing yeah. wheelbarrows. Really. Mm, and of course, the discovery of gold was in September of yeah. that year. So by the time they started arriving, they were here in the middle of summer. Wow, that would have uh, been a traumatic for them. And so when they got there, no water. That was the big problem. And so the Afghan camel drivers then started bringing water from the Mortlock River in Northam uh, by camel. And uh, it would take them about two weeks to walk the camels up to Kilgardie and then they would sell it to... Uh, they'd wholesale it, sell it to retailers who would then... Uh, you know, try and keep yeah. people uh, fed with, with water. Yeah, that is... It's just hard to even imagine how hard that life would have been for yeah. them. But if they were driven by the thought of perhaps striking it rich. But it was interesting then that the government could see a future in the area, which it is today, uh, you know, with the mining all around that area there. So that's why it was backed by John Forrest. Well, Forrest... Uh, the parliament was quite different to what we have today because there was a Forrest party... In, in the parliament, and there was the rest, and they were known as the anti-Forest Party. Oh, dear. Well, that still happens, doesn't and it? That does still happen. <laughs> uh, but Forrest was so strong that he was able to carry a lot of the stuff through parliament with his own will. How did he choose C.Y. O'Connor? Well, C.Y. O'Connor is actually Irish, uh, so he was born in County Meath in Ireland, 1843. He, uh, the family was very heavily impacted by the, uh, the potato famine, which was the end of the 1840s, so O'Connor was quite a young boy. Um, and then he took an apprenticeship at 16 years of age in a railway company. And so his background is actually railways, not pipelines or harbours. Um, and so he was, um, with the potato famine causing so much uh, trouble in Ireland, he decided to move to New Zealand as a 20-year-old. On his own. On his own. Yeah. And so when he got there, he uh, had a job in the public works department and over a period of years, he became the uh, chief engineer for the South Island in New Zealand. So it was when, when he um, eventually was given a promotion from that job to a, uh, a desk job in Wellington for the New Zealand government as the undersecretary's private secretary writing speeches and because he was a field man and loved working out in the field, he was quite unhappy in this job. And so uh, then at the same time uh, that uh, John Forrest had all his plans and 
and vision for Western Australia. He heard about this engineer in New Zealand and so he offered him a job. Wow, what an intelligent man. Yep. Amazing how he could turn himself to those sort of things. Yep. We'll just take a quick break if you don't mind, Bill. If anyone has any questions about this amazing history, uh, just give us a call. We've got Joan back here on today. She's on the phone, so 94841927. Having a chat uh, today to Mr Bill Butler, uh, who... Cutler? Butler? Cutler? Cutler? <laughs> Sorry, I've told you, Butler. Because um, see what I've got there? I've got a, a stud in the middle of the sea. Okay, that's my excuse. We're talking about the history of the Golden Pipeline Trail and Bill certainly knows about it. He was born on one of the stations, uh, pumping stations on the way up and he's followed this history, I guess. Well, when you say followed it, you were part of it, really, weren't you? You were a young fellow then. I was, yeah. 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 And you've had a continued interest, obviously. Well, I, I went off uh, as a 15-year-old and joined a bank and it wasn't until I retired from the bank that I came back with the passion and uh, I became a volunteer with the National Trust and so I've been doing that for 20 years. Well, we, we appreciate people like yourself doing that because we need to be reminded of how everything started. Exactly, yeah. yep. Now, we've been talking about the amazing talent of C.Y. O'Connor, of course, and we'll get to the myths that surround his passing uh, a little bit later, but you were mentioning the harbour, Fremantle Harbour. Yes, well, the... The problem was that um, the Albany harbour that was in use was a long way from the city and the population, but the British steamers that came from England with uh, all the goods and uh, mail refused to come to Fremantle because of the poor port facilities that were there, and and they were quite poor. So when uh, O'Connor arrived in uh, Perth in 1891, so forest government was in still in its first year of operation and the principal task for O'Connor to get into was the harbour and he uh, came up with a plan that he wanted to use the mouth of the Swan River to, to build it. Many, many engineers in the past had said that would not be possible but he stuck with a plan um, and the problem was that there was a large limestone um, rock across, across the face, underwater, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and a sandbar. And so he, uh, they were told that you would constantly be trying to rid the sandbar from, from the river if you want to have a harbour there. But he built groins out instead, and that changed the pattern. Yeah, um, and so he was able to do something that they said wasn't possible. Amazing. Uh, so that started, uh, started work on that uh, almost immediately when he arrived. Uh, but he did uh, built lighthouses and he was given the job of building a railway system in Western Australia. The only line was the one that ran from Fremantle through Perth, out to Guildford, up into the hills through Mundaring, Sawyers Valley, Mount Alina, out through Clack Line uh, to um, Spencer's Brook, and then on down through York, Brookton, Wage and Narragin to Albany. And so he was expected then to build the whole state based on the vision that, that, that uh, Forrest had and that was to build this state as a mining state. And so the, the vision he could possibly, couldn't possibly have uh, understood where Western Australia would be today. That's right, very similar. Uh, because yeah. of that. And so um, this harbour was the main project, but he also built 2,000 kilometres of railways in, in the period from 1891 to 1898. In fact, we have uh, less railway kilometres today yeah, than we had right. then in 1898. Mm. Uh, the other line that, of course, uh, once they discovered uh, gold at Coolgardie, 
then Kalgoorlie in 1893, they then had to start thinking about building a line, a railway line up there. So he did that. When he got to Kalgoorlie, he turned left and went up uh, right up through uh, Menzies to Leonora, turned right, went out to Laverton. Wow. So he built railways almost every part of Western Australia from, um, well, from Laverton and uh, from Waluna. Everything south of there built thousands of kilometres. There wasn't much that he couldn't do when you think about v- very it. Very little. I mean, for him to be expert in engineering like that, I mean, did he study that? Uh, well, he didn't because he only ever had his um, uh, apprenticeship. That's what I was wondering, that, yeah. That's all he, all he had. And he was, he was given an award later without ever doing the study. Simply, well, once he had the runs on the board, they could hardly deny him. No, that's well. And Forrest had a lot of faith in him. For, Huge faith for those. For, yes, of course, for the projects. Just that's it. Yep. He said to do it. Well, let's do it. So, with the pipeline itself, uh, they were also told that um, this project you can't work, can't work. It's a waste of money, um, and uh, because the height they had to pump the water up was four hundred meters from Mundaring Weir to the level of Coolgardie. So it rises all the way, and yeah. that's why you needed eight pumping stations. That's incredible. So, okay, he was, there was a lot of people against what he was going to do, but, the, but Forrest backed him completely for it. Totally. Totally for it, and it would have cost a lot of money in those days, quite relative well, to today. Yeah, yeah. 2.5 million pounds wow. was, the, was the estimated cost in 1897. Yeah. That's, uh, that's O'Connor's own estimates. When it was delivered in 1903, it came in at 166,000 over budget. And the reason for that was that the, by the time they built the pipeline out to Coolgardie, Kalgoorlie was becoming a big, a big town. So they put another 40 kilometres of mm. pipeline on, which accounted for that. Well, so you bought it right on budget. It's still operating today. It is. Efficiently. And can, you can't even imagine what it'd be like if uh, that hadn't been the case. Well, it couldn't have it couldn't survived have, out it there. It would never have survived. Never have it? survived. For him to have that forward thinking is just amazing. Okay, so why did this incredible man decide to take his own life? Well, there was a whole heap of things conspired against him in uh, probably starting about 1899 uh, through to his death that um, led, led him to uh, be, have anxiety, depression, it might even, in today's term, not even be bipolar. Really? We, we don't really know, but the man was suffering through overwork, uh, problems with uh, a dysfunctional government, mm. because remember in 1900 we had a referendum to join the Federation in Western Australia, and uh, so we lost Forrest. So once Forrest went... Oh, okay, no backing. So in yeah. the period from, um, from the beginning of 1901 through to his death... We had five premiers, so I'm talking about 14 months, five premiers and five parliaments. My goodness. And, of course, with, uh, with um, Forrest gone, um, the Forrest party, his old party, split in two. And so they didn't have the dominance in the parliament. Yeah. And all those that had uh, been against the pro- project, uh, they all... Bought the, tried to bring the project down. Yeah, terrible. And including, including premiers. But he was still alive when it started and, and progressed, is that right? When they first started pumping? Yeah. No. So, well, okay, so at what stage did he pass away? Okay, well, let's, let's talk about the, about the myth. That okay, the, the yes. Great, 
the great myth is that Siwa O'Connor committed suicide because the water didn't come through as expected. A lot of people still hearing that yeah. at school. And we know that that's not true because uh, the first pumping from from number one pumping station was in uh, on the 31st of March 1902. He was dead three weeks before that. Okay. So he never saw his pump start. No, that's the sadness. He, isn't he it? was yeah. he he taken his life. He thought it was not going to happen. Uh, well, he knew it was going to happen. Oh, it was just the build up to it. Yes, yeah. but uh, there's a whole heap of other things that conspired. Uh, things like the uh, the vitriol written by the Sunday Times newspaper. Uh, the uh, there's a fellow there by the name of Frederick Vosper, and not many people know about Vosper, but he is a um, he's a very interesting guy uh, who was the editor of the Sunday Times. He's also a politician, and almost every week he wrote articles accusing corruption uh, against uh, against O'Connor. And his team gets you down, doesn't um, it? So it, that went on for years. And although Vosper died before the water got there, the um, uh, the editor that took over from Vosper continued the vitriol. Dear me! So the so he could always answer the questions of of, um, mm. of engineering problems that were were put in the paper. Yeah. Uh, that was never a problem. But once he was uh, accused of corruption then that was more difficult for him. Oh, of course, mentally, yeah. yeah. So, okay, when, when it, did it get going at the start and, and what happened? I mean, absolutely victorious, the whole it thing. It was. Well, yeah. the, the first thing he did was got the railway through to in, right. in 1896. And uh, so that was a big thing for the, uh, for the, for the city of Kalgoorlie and Kilgardie. But by the time the water got through to Kilgardie, uh, Kilgardie was already in decline and and because it's alluvial gold, which is quite close to the surface, oh, nothing down whereas in Kalgoorlie they discovered the deep, deep yeah. vein. And, of course, as we know, Kalgoorlie will go on for another 50 years at least. Yeah, the open pit. And, and so um, if Kalgoorlie had turned out to be alluvial gold also, they would have built a pipeline for nothing. Yeah, yeah well, that was the consideration. And... So. and uh, all of the money was borrowed, the £2.5 million pounds yeah. on the London market, um, and uh, it was about four times the uh, the state's GDP at that time. So it was a huge risk yeah. putting this debt out there mm. for something that uh, if the gold wasn't there long term, mm. it would have been a great disaster. So it, it um, as it turned out, once the water got through and the uh, the deep vein mining got going, then the big the big miners came. Uh, used lots of water, and yeah. the whole thing was paid off by, 19, by 18, 1922. I'm just wondering about if there was a particular day when the word water was turned on for the first time. Not up, not in Kalgoorlie, but from here. From from Mundaringweer. From Mundaringweer, yes. yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So the official uh, turning on the tap was by Lady Forest, which was on the 22nd of um, uh, 22nd of January of, of 1903. By this time, of course, uh, kind of been dead eight months yeah, at that yeah. stage. Mm. Um, and then because they'd been testing the pipe all the way, they knew that it was going to work anyway. 
So the 24th of January was the date that the water came out of Mount Charlotte in Kalgoorlie. So it arrived through the pipeline and how was it being distributed to people's homes or wasn't it at that point? It was because Mount Mount Charlotte is uh, a very high hill at the top of Haddon Street and so just gravitation took it to every every house and uh, they had a water supply going into their homes like well, they piping it. and everything yeah. yeah they did build it yeah oh wow so, that is so, amazing so it? the goldfields got uh, water supplied yeah. a water supply system before perth did mm. so oh, perth right. was still relying on <laughs> rainwater tanks and artesian bores how old was he when he passed away? He just had his 59th birthday. What a shame. He should have lived a lot longer. He should have done. He could have done so much more. He, he did he, an awful lot, didn't he? He, he, he It's did. amazing. His name should never be forgotten. That's right. Do you give talks at all, Bill? Uh, I, yes, I've spoken to nearly every Probus club in Western have. Australia and <laughs> uh, University of the Third Age, I speak. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I take groups up to Mundaring Weir on behalf of the National Trust. A lot of people still interested, um, aren't they? They are. So and you I, haven't written a book, but you're doing some memoirs. I'm doing some memoirs at the moment. Okay, would the public ever get to see that? Or uh, I, I was initially writing just for my grandchildren, <laughs> uh, but we'll see. I think everyone's interested. <laughs> great to meet you, and uh, it's an incredible story. Everyone's got a great story. There's no two ways about it. Yours probably pips the post a bit. <laughs> and thank you for sharing it, Bill. Great to meet you.